Well, that was something. Uh, she really stole the show. What a great, what a great gift. Today we continue, as you've already heard, in a new sermon series on the life of King David. And uh, David is uh, a man who has so many different descriptors. He's a shepherd boy. He's a musician. He's a musical therapist. He is a warrior. He is um, an adulterer, a murderer, a king, a worshiper. David is a man with mixed motives, and yet God works in David's heart, and God works in our hearts. We don't have to be perfect for David to do, or rather for God to do something significant. Well, today we're going to look at a text that is almost a retrospective. It looks back a bit into David's life. It comes a little bit farther into his life, but then it also looks forward and uh, explains things yet to come. So let's look at 2 Samuel Chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. The text says, After the king was settled in his palace, the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But... That night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them, so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. That is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, as you inspired these events and the words that captured them so long ago, Would you now enlighten us with that very same spirit 
that we may be shaped and formed by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Back in 1990, in the summertime, I interned in pastoral care at the Crystal Cathedral in Garden Grove, California. Here's a picture of me that year with Bruce Larson, who was co-pastor at that time. Um, That was an amazing experience for me. The Crystal Cathedral, as many of you will recall, was the brainchild of Dr. Robert Schuller. Here's a picture of him. Dr. Schuller founded America's first megachurch, and he started with humble beginnings in a drive-through theater. Schuller's TV broadcast of their services, The Hour of Power, became world famous and took his messages to millions. Dr. Schuller was an, a visionary of great magnitude. He was a great builder of houses, houses for God. He loved beautiful buildings. His campus featured cutting-edge modern architecture designed by greats like Richard Neutra and Philip Johnson. Here's a picture. Schuller was a builder, and he was known for the great buildings on that Crystal Cathedral campus. But the difficult thing that faced Dr. Schuller and faces all founding pastors of megachurches is to build another kind of house. Not so much a physical house, but a, a metaphoric house, a house of leadership and lineage that extends into the future and carries the ministry forward. This was more difficult. And as many of you know, his ministry faltered in its succession plan, and ultimately the house of Schuler, at least in its crystal cathedral expression, came to an end. The word house in the Bible can mean two things at least. It has a a literal meaning, which means like house of God, temple. But it also means something else. It means something figurative. It means dynasty or lineage. A lineage of people who are in royal succession. One way to think of it is a simple illustration from Yankee, uh, Yankee baseball, the Yankees. You remember that Yankee Stadium has been called the house that Babe Ruth built. And Yankee Stadium has been called the Cathedral of Baseball. But it wasn't just a physical building. It was more than that. It was a, a succession of winning teams. The Yankees were a dynasty in baseball. And that's what we mean by this term, house. David wanted to build a house for the Lord. And David most likely had mixed motives. On the one hand, he had a heart for God. He was a man after God's own heart. And so he wanted to build this out of great and pure motives on the one hand. But David also, we know from Scripture, was a man with a broken heart and a man uh, characterized by sin like we are. And so David may well have been seeking to consolidate his power in Jerusalem. He'd made a royal city for himself. He'd built a palace and now a temple to bring all the tribes to Israel where he ruled. A man with mixed motives, likely. Well, Nathan, when he hears the building plan, says, go for it, thumbs up and uh, off they're about to run until God intervenes. They haven't prayed, apparently, and so God speaks in a vision to David and to Nathan. Let's look at verses 4 and 5 again. But, there's that word, but. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you... You, little David, the one to build me, the great God, a house to dwell in? 
it made me think immediately of Psalm 127, verse 1, which ironically is uh, attributed to Solomon, who's David's literal son. And it says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Isn't that something? Uh, David wants to build this house, but God has to check him and say, hold on there a minute. Let's be sure we know what we're talking about here. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor over it labor in vain. And then God goes on to remind David that God, God himself prefers a tent to a temple. God prefers to travel in a tent. And there we see it in verse 6 and 7. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? God prefers a tent, a tabernacle in the old King James Version. Now what does this tell us about God? God prefers a tent. God prefers to travel light. God prefers to be in the midst of the people, not sequestered in some big building someplace. God wants to travel in their midst. And as we read our Old Testaments, we see that God was with the people in the the desert with a, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. God wanted to be in the thick of the action, right where the people were, and he wanted them to trust him. In fact, hundreds of years later, God says through the prophet Hosea, I will allure Israel, wayward Israel, back into the wilderness. Almost as though he wants a second honeymoon with them, a camping honeymoon. Some of you are campers, and you may have really fond memories of times that you went camping as a small child with your family. Uh, Or maybe you do that today with your family. You've got these memories of times of simplicity, of intimacy, closeness. That's what God is talking about. And isn't it interesting that when we get to the New Testament, we get to the Gospel of John, there in chapter 1, when the Lord is, or God through John is talking about Jesus, this pre-incarnate, pre-existent Son of God who became a human being, John uses these words. John says, the Word, God, the Son, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The term made his dwelling is a Greek term that literally means tented. That the word became flesh, became a human being, Jesus Christ, and tented among us, tabernacled among us, camped with us. That's what God chooses to do in Jesus Christ. Then God goes on to remind David of God's indispensable role in David's life. God will be speaking in the first person singular numerous times in these next several verses. Look for it. Verses 8 and 9. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and I pointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Who's indispensable? It's not David. It's God. God's the one who makes things happen. God's plans are the plans that endure. Now God makes gospel promises to David. Gospel promises. Let's look at verses 9 and 11. 
Now I will make your name great. God is making a promise to David. Like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. This leads Walter Brueggemann, the famous Old Testament scholar, to say this about our passage. He says, this promise that God just made, this is one of the most crucial texts in the Old Testament for evangelical faith. Now, what does he mean? Well, when we come to that term evangelical, it's a term that's really being re-examined in America today because largely of the political situation. But evangelical is actually a really great word. It's based on the word evangel, which means gospel. Gospel, that free gift of God to us in Jesus Christ, the free gift of God's favor and mercy and forgiveness. That's the evangel. And what we see Brueggemann commenting on here is that so much in the Old Testament throughout it, God makes conditional promises. If you will keep my law, if you will keep my word, if you will obey me, if you will keep Torah, then I will bless you. But that's not what happens in this text. In this text, God makes free, full promises without any condition at all to simply bless David and his lineage. It's a gospel promise full of grace. Now then, the Lord then addresses house building in verses 11 and following. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Do you see what's happening here? There is a play on words here. House has at least two different meanings. We've talked about this already. House is a literal temple, but house is a figurative lineage, a succession of people. And God is promising to build this kind of house, not only literally through Solomon, but figuratively through a king to come. Who do you think that is? It's Jesus. Jesus is this this fulfillment of this prophecy here. Now, some of you are wondering, well, how can that be? How can this passage refer to two different kinds of people or two different historical dimensions? Well, it's a little bit like a mountain range. Here's one that you're familiar with. Think about our mountain range here, the front range. Here in, here in Boulder, we have the Flatirons. Behind the Flatirons, we have the foothills. Behind the foothills, we have higher mountains like, for example, Sugarloaf or beyond it. And then we have the Continental Divide, the highest range. Now imagine this site covered by smoke like it is today. And you can't see it. It all looks like one range. And you might think it only refers to one person in the biblical prophecy, the analogy I'm making. But what we see is that there are actually depth of ranges and the initial promise finds fulfillment in a, a literal heir, that is Solomon, David's son. But the, the more complete promise comes in Jesus Christ, the higher ranges. 
And that's the fulfillment of the promise. Our text is all about house building. God ultimately building a house that endures, a house of people. I like the way Eugene Peterson summarizes our passage in his commentary. I'm going to read it. It's a little bit lengthy. But see if you can watch how he captures what we've been studying. God's word to David through Nathan was essentially this. You want to build me a house? Forget it. I'm going to build you a house. The kingdom that I'm shaping here isn't what you do for me, but what I do through you. I'm doing the building here, not you. I'm not going to let you confuse things by launching a building operation of your own. If I let you fill Jerusalem with the sights and sounds of your building project, carpenter's hammers, mason's chisels, teamster's shouts, before long everyone will be caught up in what you are doing and not attentive to what I am doing. This is a kingdom we're dealing with, and I am the king. I've gotten along without a so-called house for a long time now. Where did you ever come up with the idea that I need or want a house? If there's any building to be done, I'm doing it. I've been working with you since your shepherd days, building a kingdom, a place where salvation and justice and peace can be realized. That's why you're here, to give visibility and representation to what I'm doing, not call attention to what you're doing. We've just had one failure like that in King Saul, and we're not going to have another. There will come a time when it's appropriate to build something like you have in mind. Your son, in fact, will do it, but this isn't the time. First, we have to get the concept of my sovereignty established in the people's imagination and practice. Your kingship is a witness to my kingship, not an obscuring of it. That's the house I'm building. Your kingship as witness and representation of my sovereignty. First things first. Don't you just love that? This is why Eugene Peterson did such a great job translating the Bible into his paraphrase called the message. He captures the biblical text and brings it to life. So King David, we're going to see in this series, is a man of mixed motives. And no doubt in his desire to build a house for God, he, his motives were mixed. And it, most likely there was a focus on himself that obscured the bigger vision. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad for that, aren't you? I, I, I am glad that God worked in someone like David, someone who wasn't perfect, someone who didn't have it all together, someone whose motives were mixed. That's me, that's you, that's us. God is unashamed to work through our weaknesses. God sometimes works because of us, often in spite of us. And that's a good reminder for us today. God is gracious, and God wants to work through imperfect people like David and like you and me. God did that in David's time, God did that in Solomon's time, and God did that in Jesus' time as well. Because ultimately, our text points ahead to Jesus Jesus is the back range. Jesus is the highest point, the one in whom the text finds fulfillment. The New Testament makes this clear. Think, for example, of the beginning of Matthew's gospel, the genealogy that many of us skip right over. Well, don't do that because the first verse is key. Matthew writes, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. In other words, Jesus the anticipated king. And then there's that phrase, the son of David. 
Jesus is the fulfillment. Luke makes it clear as well. Look at the next verse, Luke 1, where Gabriel says to Mary, Jesus will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Jesus is the one in whom God will build this house. And interestingly, it will be a literal house and a figurative one. The literal house is Jesus himself. Do you remember in John chapter 2, where Jesus is in Jerusalem around the great temple buildings, and Jesus says these most disturbing words. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. What was he talking about? A few verses later, John, the gospel writer, makes it clear. He says, Jesus said this about his body. Jesus is making claim that he is the house of God. He is the temple. He is the one where divinity and humanity meet. Do you want to worship God in the proper place? It's not in a building any longer. It's in Jesus Christ. Do you want to know where sacrifice for sin occurs? It's not in a building in Jerusalem. It's in Jesus Christ. Do you want to have fellowship as God's people? It's not in a building. It's in Jesus Christ. He is the literal temple. But there's also a figurative temple. Jesus expands God's house to encompass in David all who will trust in him. All who trust in Jesus, not just the Jews, but all the Gentiles, all the people like you and me, everyone trusting in Jesus, guess what? We become royalty. We are now in the lineage of David. We are part of the house of the Lord. I know a lot of you enjoyed the royal wedding back in May. Anybody watch the royal wedding? Okay, a couple of you did. Well, back in May, uh, Prince Harry married uh, Meghan Markle, and there's the official pictures, and that's something so beautiful. But what made this wedding spectacular was not the pageantry, was not the liturgy, was not the location. What made this marriage spectacular is that the House of Windsor began to open up further. The House of Windsor, with these English people, embraced an African-American mixed-race woman. The House of Windsor began to expand in a beautiful way. And that is what Jesus is doing in the lineage of David. He's expanding the house of David, the house of God, to encompass all peoples, you and me, in great diversity, every nation, every tongue, every tribe, embraced and brought in in Jesus Christ to become sons and daughters of the King. If you followed uh, the saga of Robert Schuller and his ministry, you may know that, that in 2012, they finally needed to declare bankruptcy and they needed to uh, do something with the buildings. And so they found a buyer, and the buyer was the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, California. And they are now repurposing these buildings in this ministry to carry it forward into a new generation. And there's been an interesting name change. It used to be called the Crystal Cathedral, but now it's not called that. It's called Christ Cathedral. And I think that's fitting. Because no matter the kinds of houses that we seek to build in our own strength, these houses cannot endure. Only one house endures. It's the house that Jesus builds. The house 
in fulfillment of the prophecies made to David. Through David, a broken and imperfect and flawed human being, comes Jesus Christ in whom all of us are shaped and formed and blessed. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for embracing and enfolding us into this royal lineage. Thank you that we now are royalty ourselves. Thank you that our hope and future are glorious. Make us a people who freely and gladly share these truths with others so that they too may come into this wonderful lineage. We ask this in your name. Amen.